Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it bring it to the Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hello, everybody. My name is Thomas Boff. I'm the editor of wolvesblog.com, a website dedicated entirely to Wolverhampton Wonders Football Club. Uh, you can obviously find us on the website at wolvesblog.com or at Facebook forward slash wolvesblog or Twitter forward slash wolvesblog. Hi, I'm Russ Golden, host of Cottage Talk, a podcast all about Fulham Football Club. You can follow us on Twitter at the uh, Twitter handle of Cottage Talk, and uh, we're also on YouTube under Cottage Talk. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Um, I guess we got to start off by talking about Manchester City. Um, they didn't even need to win today as we record on the Sunday uh, in order to be crowned champions with Arsenal's loss yesterday to Nottingham Forest, but... Nonetheless, confirmed as their third consecutive league title in their fifth in six years. So we kind of just got to talk about them. Where do you think this run of this this three and three, five and six puts City uh, among the great teams of of all time in the Premier League or or period? I I think they're right there. Um, I mean, I, I think it's kind of almost well for me. It's almost felt like it's crept up on us. Like I didn't realize how many they'd actually won. You know, the years have just gone by. And they've kept winning. And then you look at it and you think there was only that one season when Liverpool were absolutely incredible that, that stopped them winning it. And they would have had, what, five, six in a row, was it? They would have, um, which is, that's incredible. I don't, did Man United ever have five and six? I don't I don't know if they had that many in that, in that period of domination. I know they won a lot of titles, but I don't know if they had a, a ratio that high. Um, I think, I think, yeah, I think what they need to be viewed with that, you know, the great Man United teams um, is is the Champions League, obviously. Um, if they can win that and obviously do the treble as well, then I think there's an argument to say that that, that puts them right up there. Um, again, it's hard for me to comment on the Liverpool teams of the, you know, the 70s and 80s that were obviously brilliant um, and, and won all those trophies. But certainly in my era um, and certainly in the Premier League era, I think you, you're struggling to find a better team. Um, that that performance they put on against Real Madrid in the Champions League the other week, in the second leg, was probably the best individual performance I've seen by an English club team, full stop. You know, it, it was total domination um, against a team of, you know, elite, elite opposing players. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, I, I think... I think they're the best team. I don't, I don't think there's any other team in English history that, that would beat this Manchester City team um, over a 38-game season or, or in a one-off game, most likely. Um, so, so for me, I think they are the best. Um, is that recency bias? Maybe. Maybe there is some of it. But, you know, I don't have any other bias. It doesn't bother me to say Man City or Man United or Liverpool or 
you know, Arsenal perhaps. But I mean, again, Arsenal never won a Champions League in that period. Um, I can't remember how many league titles they won under Wenger. Was it three? Um, but um, but yeah, yeah. So for me, you know, personally, I, I would probably be now putting Manchester City at the the very top of the tree. It's interesting. I was actually having this conversation with a friend of mine just today talking about where they uh, stand. And uh, he actually brought up the Beckham-Ferguson-Manchester United teams. But this is uh, even probably better than that. And that just tells you how fantastic this run has been for Manchester City. I'm glad that Thomas brought up the second leg against Real Madrid. I couldn't believe what I was watching. And it was just that much dominance to Real Madrid. I'm like, I had to keep checking. Like, is that Real Madrid that they're playing? Because I could not believe it. And I think this is the vision that Pep Guardiola ultimately wanted to see was that kind of dominance, that kind of play where they just dominated the ball from the get-go to the very end. And the other team, regardless of how many unbelievable players that were on the other side, they did not have a chance. That was complete and utter craziness I was watching. On style-wise, the only thing I could think of in my time that comes close would be those Barcelona teams with Messi, but I don't even think they were as fluid and dominant as this Manchester City team. This Manchester City team is special. On a run, I was thinking Bayern Munich in Germany of that dominance, maybe some of those Juventus teams, but for English football, I would have to say, and again, like Thomas said, I, I don't go that far back to talk about those Liverpool teams, but in modern day, I, I would have to give it to Manchester City, and uh, they've built something quite unique and quite special, and uh, to see someone's vision play out like that, and the fact that they can start 22 or maybe even more, than, and there's probably no drop-off is insane, and um, I'm just marveling at it. Yeah, we kind of saw that lack of drop-off today when they were playing their B or arguably C team against yeah. Chelsea. Still managed to win with Julian Alvarez, who I think Steve mentioned a couple of weeks back, is uh, second in the league in goals per minute behind Holland. <laughs> so the, the two most efficient strikers, both at that club, is a little ridiculous. Um, I, I totally agree with you guys. I, I think this is obviously a, a historic team. Um, if you're watching as a neutral, it's obviously great football to watch. Uh, obviously, all the FPL heads out there also passively rooting for City every week to to get as many FPL points as they can. But on the other side, there are still all these allegations kind of looming over them. Um, not asking you for a number, because much like the Ivan Tony uh, betting allegations, there's just so many of them. It's it's hard to keep track. But if they, you know, if a reasonable amount of those allegations are confirmed or or anything like that, how heavily would that dampen? Um, Kind of, kind of the weight you put on all the success that they've had that we, that we were just discussing. I I don't know really. Um, maybe may not not a huge amount probably for me. I think would be the answer to that. Just because the top teams have advantages, you know, that the 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 other teams can't compete with. I think the financial fair play is becoming more and more obvious that it's it's main. The main thing that it's bringing to the table is shutting off the chance of anyone but those six or seven teams being 
successful unless you do something remarkable like Brighton have done and um, you know do uh, outperform what you perhaps should do with the resources at your disposal. So I kind of think it's a closed shop in that in that regard. And you know, I, I, it doesn't surprise me that that City have found ways to get money into that football club. You know, there's all these deals that are done with Etihad and. You know, I mean, it's it's played out in plain sight, hasn't it, really? I mean, it's not, there's no great surprise. Um, but what I would say is I don't think money in isolation guarantees you anything. There are teams, I believe, that have spent more money than Manchester City. I think Manchester United have spent more than Manchester City over a period of time. So, you know, regardless of what they have and haven't done, um, you know, with, as regards how they've managed their their finances, um, the, the, you, what you can't argue against is that they've used those resources incredibly well. Um, I think Pep Guardiola is an exceptional coach and manager. And I think, you know, the football they've created, it's, it's not just about the money. Um, you know, I, I think that there's more, there's more to it than just having, you know, all, all these resources. So, um, so no, I, I do it. There's a lot to admire about what they've, what they've done there. Um, you know, it will it will tarnish it, I suppose. Um, but that would only be putting kind of an official an official stamp, if you like, on something that we know, you know, is happening. And I, I, I'm really positive that, you know, that there's other clubs that are probably guilty of similar things that haven't quite come to the boil just yet. Um, I don't think there's that many self-sustainable football clubs. I think I, I, I'm trying to get your head around, you know, what is and isn't permitted is impossible, you know, unless you're uh, some kind of, you know, financial and accounting genius. Um, so even if they are found guilty, I'm not, I'm not even sure I'll understand what it is they've been found guilty of. Um, so yeah, so I mean, you know, may, maybe I suppose when, when the judgment's handed down, if they're guilty and then it, it's kind of made obvious what they've done and the magnitude of that, maybe it would, you know, it would take something away. Um, but but no, you can't take away what what you're seeing in terms of the quality of the football. It, it is exceptional. I'm glad that Thomas uh, put it that way. The quality of the football being exceptional that doesn't change anything. Let's start there. And uh, I have a unique perspective to this. I've given this some thought, and uh, I'm a fan of the New England Patriots. I've got candles to win six Super Bowl titles: Spygate, Deflategate. And this is uh, what the Patriots did was push the envelope. Other teams were doing similar things. I'm talking about Spygate. But the thing about it is, for me, it doesn't change the accomplishment of what those players did because they had to play as a team. They still had to do what they needed to do to earn all six Super Bowls. So when I apply that to Manchester City, they still have to go out and play. They still need the manager to run that team the way that he does. They have to execute. They All the players have to be able to run that system and to be able to dominate the way that they have, regardless of what the finances come out of this, I think they will still be admired. There might be some scar tissue that goes on with that, and maybe we'll learn more that they have crossed the line. But I'm glad that Thomas brought this up because I've said this in the NFL, teams push the envelope, and in football, they're doing the same thing financially. They're not the only ones, Manchester City, doing this. I'm not going to excuse for what they might have done, 
but they, again, were probably, in my opinion, pushing the envelope. If they cross the line, then they should be punished for it. But don't think that they're the only ones doing it. And that doesn't change my view of what I watched the other day against Real Madrid, what I've seen, the excellence. The players are doing it, and I'm glad that Thomas brought this up. They are not buying all of the most expensive players in the world. They are bringing in the right players. I don't see Kylian Mbappe on Manchester City. I never saw Messi on Manchester City. Ronaldo, they bought a lot of good players. But if you look at it, I think they bought the right ones. They don't always spend max out. They've spent a lot on on certain players. But I think uh, for me, I don't think it's going to change my view on them, but I would understand if others have a change of heart on it. We're just going to have to see how this all plays out. I think, again, if they have done something that is beyond what I would call the line, if they cross the line, then they might be punished for that. But it's not going to change my view of, of what they've accomplished. Not at all. Yeah, I, I think you both make a good point of like, it has happened. <laughs> Regardless of whether or not there's any retroactive punishments, we all saw the football. We all saw the dominance and the success. Obviously, bar that, it was the 2020 season, right? The COVID one that that Liverpool ended up winning. Yes. To to break the, <laughs> what would have otherwise been a six year streak. Um, just because uh, a lot of people will uh, be talking about, it, I figure we have to touch on it as well. Are you concerned at all with the level of dominance that City have shown in the Premier League and it kind of going the way of, of Bayern and Germany, the way that people have mentioned? Although Bayern might not be uh, winning the title this year. <laughs> Stay tuned on Dortmund there. But yeah, it, do you view this as damaging or is it just cool to get to see, you know, like we were all saying, one of the best teams ever play week in and week out in the Premier League? Um, I think it's a tough one to answer, really. I mean, I think if you're one of the other clubs who have a legitimate... Uh, belief that they can challenge for a Premier League title, which I suppose is Man United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea in a normal season, possibly Spurs, if they ever get their act together. Um, you, you know, maybe Newcastle in the years to come. You, you might say, well, you know, it'd be good if it was a bit more <laughs> diverse. But from my perspective, uh, with Wolves, if it's not Man City, it will be one of those other clubs. So it doesn't make a huge difference to me. Um and I think, yeah, I think I think it's just more you want to see a great team win the title and, and be, I don't want to say proud that they're the champion of your country, but it, it kind of gives legitimacy to the league if you've got a great team. Um, I think there have been teams that have won it in the past where you think it's that's not really a great team that's won that title. I'm thinking maybe the last Man United team to win it. I think I think Ferguson did an unbelievable job in in coaching that team to the to the title um and you were thinking well is the premier league that great if that team can can you know make it all the way and win a title but i mean you're looking at this this man city team now and it is it's a worthy champion of any league and i i do think they're going to complete the treble um and i, I do think we're going to be talking about this team for for years and years to come as, as you know really one of the greats if not the greatest so um so yeah but i, I don't think it's i don't think it's that boring um, because I think the, the competition generally in the Premier League is interesting. There are lots of subplots. It's not just about the title race, is it? I mean, you, you know, you've got the top four, the top six, relegation, and then there's obviously individual narratives throughout the league, interesting things happening. Um, 
so yeah so not for me I don't think it really maybe come back to me in another five or six years (laughs) Pep's still there reeling them off um, and I might have a different perspective on it but for now it doesn't really bother me okay well to be fair for me I actually wanted Arsenal to win it so I'm a little bit disappointed however what has come out of this is us watching a very special team do something very special and I can relate to that so I'm not bored by their dominance. I'm not bored by it. I I can marvel at it, even though I wanted someone else. But to Thomas's point, I'm a Fulham supporter. And I've thoroughly enjoyed this season, not just watching Fulham play, but overall with all of the stories of all 20 clubs. So it wasn't just Man City. It wasn't just Arsenal. It was about what happened to Wolves. Look how they rebounded. Look how Fulham, everyone predicted was going to go down and end, are going to end 10th. That, to me, is tremendous. Look at Brighton. There are so many interesting stories that come out of this season. That, to me, does not diminish or take away the fact that you have a team that is completely dominant. There are all these other stories that have gone on to this season. I think this has been a special season for the Premier League. I'll just leave it at that. Absolutely fair. And yeah, I guess we should talk about some of the the chaos and storylines that are happening at the bottom of the table. We referenced the fact that, that Nottingham Forest winning uh, one city the title, but it also made sure that they would be in the Premier League next season, which means that just for the fourth time, all three of the promoted sides are going to stay up in the Premier League. Uh, Russ, we had you on before the season started. You're pretty confident about, about Fulham, not as sure about the other two, but... Right. All three, all three pulled it out, which is, uh, uh, I'm pretty sure, a big surprise to to what most people would have guessed it last August. Uh, are you guys surprised that they all ended up being safe? Um, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I think at the start you would have you would have had um, all three of them to to be in the kind of mix up for it. Um, just to check, we are because my memory is terrible. We're talking about Fulham, Bournemouth, and Forest, aren't we? Mm, yes, that's right. Okay, yeah, because obviously a couple of those teams have been up and down. I'm losing my memory, but um, yeah. So I mean, I think every, I think everyone, and I'm going to guess that you guys would agree, thought that Bournemouth were going to go down. I, I, you can tell me differently if you if you thought. I mean, I I think everyone, if you said at the start of the season, guess three teams that will go down. I think 99.99% would have said Bournemouth. So. I think yeah. perhaps they're they're the most surprising of the three. But then again, they did go and spend a hundred million or so in January, I believe, on the on the players they brought in. Um, so yeah, so yes, it is a surprise. Uh, but as the seasons unfolded, they've all been, um, you know, they've all done well enough. They've all approached it with a, with different strategies. I think Fulham were the most stable, and that was obvious. They've obviously learned some lessons from the. The previous years in the Premier League, and I'll you know I'll leave Russ to talk about them a bit, obviously. But but with you know Forest went down the road of buying every player in sight, um, and and Bournemouth obviously sacking Scott Parker so early into the season, making statements about how they weren't going to spend money, and then obviously going and spending money in January. It's like the chaos that surrounded both of those clubs. It's actually remarkable when you think that they've managed to survive, but. Maybe that's what it takes sometimes. Maybe it's not just coming up and having this stoic kind of we'll stick to the plan and and you know we'll we'll see it off. And if we go down, maybe we'll come back up again. Maybe it takes you've got to be a bit of a rogue player, you know, to to do that. And certainly what what Notts Forest have done is is the most you know extraordinary 
um, approach to a, a championship team coming up into the Premier League and trying to make a fist of it, you know, the, the signings they've made. Um, and I won't lie, I, I, I wanted them to, to go down <laughs> because, <laughs> because we, you know, there's this one of those things, a bit of beef, a bit of beef between the teams, some of the players they've had offers and, and bad feeling in some of the games. Um, but what I would say is I watched their game against Arsenal yesterday and they were... They were exceptional. You know, they, they didn't give Arsenal a, a chance, really, to play the way that they wanted to play in that game. You know, they shut down the space. They made it a horrible, horrible game on what looked like a tight pitch because of what the, the ground that those players were covering. You know, so they, they deserve what they've got. They've, they've done well in recent weeks, really picked up when they needed to, um, you know, and, and, and done well. And, and again, Bournemouth have, have been, they found a way of playing, um, done very well on the counter-attack. You know, being able to absorb pressure when they've needed to, and um, yeah, and, and some players for them, as well as the business they did in January, some players have, have come good for them. Uh, Billing, one in midfield, he's, he's got some Premier League experiences, has been very good for them. And um, the what's his name, the Liverpool forward, whose name's ex-Liverpool forward, who Solanke, um, he he's come of age, it seems a bit in the last two two years, and he looks a good a good Premier League forward right now. Um, and uh, yeah, some some useful players. So you know, well done to all of them. Um, it'll be very hard again for that for those teams next season. It'll be very interesting, particularly in the case of Bournemouth and Forest, about what they do next season. Do they, you know, particularly Forest, I suppose, will they carry on with this kind of machine gun approach, or will they try to get some more stability? Um, they're probably going to have to offload as many players again in the summer, I would imagine, because they, they didn't use all of those 30 players consistently. Um, so, yeah, very, uh, it goes back to that thing that we were talking about before. There's there's never a dull moment in the Premier League. There's all these individual strands and narratives. Um, so, yeah, it's it's made. They, they, as much as anyone else, have contributed to, to what's been an excellent season. So, um, so well done to them. Well, good stuff from you. Thomas talking about all three clubs. I'll just start by talking about my my own club of form. And I know many thought that they would struggle. And uh, I can officially say right now at the moment, but that can change next season. I'm glad that Thomas talked about it because they're going to have to build on what they did this season. Being 10th is great, but they can't stand still. They're going to have to build on it or they will then get back that yo-yo club moniker. They've gotten rid of it at least for a year because that is their reputation. And honestly, I understand it, even though they were in in the Premier League for over a decade, they've been stuck with the yo-yo club. But I think Fulham have shown that they're not North City. They're not, but if they go back down, then they're going to be supporters that are going to just go right back to calling them a yo-yo club. So... They can't be a one-hit wonder. They're going to have to do it again. But what's great about it is that I, I keep going back for Fulham. They have learned from the lessons of the past, as Thomas mentioned. Absolutely. Financially, they have. They bought the right players. But they actually have the right manager. And everything hinges upon him. Marco Silva is the right manager. His approach in the Premier League was different than it was in the championship he changed how Fulham played he got the players to play a certain way in the Premier League and it worked it absolutely worked they worked their socks off they beat a lot of teams on the counter-attack they didn't have the ball like they did in the championship 
He changed how they played. He even did that during the season when Mitro went out. So he was able to adjust his style, still his style. But for me, it really hinged on Silva. It still does to this day for Fulham's future. He needs to be there. And then they can build upon what they did. And they just need to back the manager. And as Thomas told me on a prior show, because I asked him, with Wolves, what happened to Wolves after the successful season? The trick now is to keep your players. And that's going to be Fulham's major thing along with the manager. They can keep their key players. And I'm going to tell you the key players are Mitro, Polina, and Bern Leno. If those three are with Fulham next season, they're going to be in good shape. If one of them goes then things are going to be up in the air. They need those three players. It's about building around those three players and making that club stable, but not standing still. They need to build on what they've already done. In regards to the two other clubs, Nottingham Forest is the one that, believe it or not, surprised me more than Bournemouth because I just thought buying all the players that they did, that it might be too late for them, but they stuck by... Cooper, and I want to give them credit for sticking by Cooper, not changing the manager. And eventually, it paid off in the end. There's an example of a club that did not change the manager, and they were rewarded for it. It went to the end, but they were rewarded for it. So what's interesting for them is, can they build on it? Now, on first blush, you're saying, no, they can't. I think they might be able to. I saw a Fulham team in 2007 have a season called The Great Escape, and they just escaped. And then they built on that. They have a lot of talent. They have a good manager. There's a possibility that Nottingham Forest are comfortably mid-table next season. That doesn't make me happy because I'm not a fan of Nottingham Forest. But I could see that projection. Or it could blow up in their face. But if they stick to their plan and they stick by Cooper... They have a chance. Bournemouth is an interesting one. The key to their season for me was getting rid of Fulham's former manager, now their former manager, Scott Parker. Because what happens, they bring in a manager who's really had no managerial experience, but got the best out of his players. They added players in January, and they just took off from there. What I noticed, I'm glad that Thomas mentioned two key players, Dominic Solanke, and Billing, they were not firing on all cylinders when they were in the Premier League under Parker. Many players weren't. He goes, and all of a sudden, everything changes. It, I hate, I'm not trying to throw him under the bus, but a lot of the problems that Bournemouth had were because of the manager. And they changed it, got in new players, and it worked. And, and uh, I have nothing but respect for what Bournemouth has. They have a a great podcast, a great supporter podcast called Back of the Net. And uh, I actually root for those guys because we have this Parker manager in common, and uh, I'm glad for them. And they've earned it. They've absolutely earned it. So Nottingham Forest and Bournemouth, I think one of them will struggle. I, w- I would put my money more on Bournemouth than Nottingham Forest. That's just where I'm going on that. And Fulham could struggle too. It all depends upon the moves they make this summer. 
Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Cool to hear you guys' thoughts on on those three clubs throughout the season and what they could do next year. Do you think this is a thing that we'll start seeing occur more often? Do we think that the the gap between the championship and the Premier League is closing, or do we think that this is just kind of a, a more of a historical one off? I think it's my thought is that everything's just kind of shifting down and down and down in the sense that good coaching in the Premier League is is there and recruitment and the structure and teams outside the Premier League are taking note of those things and it's filtering into the championship um, so that they understand more about what's required when they come up. That doesn't make it any easier to survive. I think I'll be surprised next season if we're sat here again talking about you know Burnley and Sheffield United and one of Coventry or Luton staying up I think you know hopefully well again this is selfishly from a Wolves perspective because you you, you want one or two of those teams to be roadkill don't you and um, to, to maximize our own you know chances of, of survival so I don't I'll be very surprised if they're the three teams that come up next time are able to do as good but um so yeah, I mean, to answer your question, no, I, I don't think we'll see it because I think it's it is it does get harder and harder and harder. But what the Premier League does afford you is that that big payday, and you know you and there's, there's such a massive pool of players that are looked at now in Europe and in South America now that that market's opening up. Um, you can go and acquire players, and so many players are desperate to play in the Premier League. That if you you get your scouting right and you, you, your recruitment's good, you know you, you can attract these players. I mean, the, look at the players that Forest were able to bring in. I mean, Kaylor Navas. That's a, just a that's a sensational coup for him. If you'd said at the start of the season that he's going to be playing for Notts Forest, you, you'd have been shocked. You know, some of the pedigree of these these players that, that, that they've got. So, you know. Uh, there's a chance, but what I'm saying is it is very hard, which again speaks to the magnitude of, of what Bournemouth and Forest have been able to do. Um, not kind of textbook approaches, probably in either sense, but but they've you know they've been able to do it. So, but yeah, to to return to your question, I, I think it just it can happen. I suppose is what I'm saying because of the opportunities that the Premier League affords you, um, but it is it is just so so tough. Um, so I, I just don't think it will it will become the norm. I think it will most seasons one or two teams will will probably end up um, you know going straight back down. To Thomas's point, when I look at the championship and Fulham have spent a good amount of time lately in the championship, I don't think the gap has really gotten any closer. I think the gap is still fairly wide, and that also just shows what Fulham. Nottingham Forest, and then also Bournemouth accomplished here, which I think is tremendous. I don't know if the three teams coming up will be able to do that, to Thomas's point. And on a personal level, I'll be watching on Saturday very much so the uh, championship final between Luton Town and Coventry City. And for me, I'm going to, I'm for one day, I am going to be a Luton Town supporter, one day. Because I got so much abuse from several Coventry City supporters last year. Because uh, I was on a show, my podcast, after a full loss to Coventry City. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. It was, I, it was hosted by me and another American film supporter. And I got a lot of anti-American stuff that continued for months, not just one day. 
from Coventry City supporters. So I have actually, I don't want them to be in the Premier League. It's personal for me. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just being honest. It's personal for me because I don't care where you live. If you are invested in a sport, in a club, you're a supporter. It shouldn't matter that I live in Walpole, Massachusetts, that Max lives outside of uh, Washington, D.C., but we were called out for it a lot, and that really bothered me. And I've been told that Coventry is not anti-American, and and it was just a, a couple supporters. I'm here to tell you guys it wasn't a couple supporters. It was more than that. So uh, for me personally, I'm rooting for Ludentown and Kenilworth Road in the worst possible way. But I think that either one of those things, whether it's Coventry City or Luton, whoever wins that, is going to struggle. They're going to struggle, and and for selfish reasons, I think I think that benefits Wolves. It benefits Fulham. Mm, gotcha. Well, we'll certainly see uh, how the new teams fare next season. Um, obviously, we're heading into match week thirty-eight. Uh, still, a couple of clubs that have uh, two matches left as we record. But I was just curious, what do you think will be the biggest surprise uh, in match week thirty-eight? Um, I think if Wolves beat Arsenal, I'm putting that right up there. At the, uh, <laughs> based on our away record, uh, which is absolutely abysmal um, all season, we've, we've basically lost to everyone. And the only two games we've won, we were behind in. Um, so, so I'm going to say that even Arsenal winding down in their lowest ebb, if they lose to us on the final day, that will be a, that will be a shock result. Um, but in more serious terms, I suppose you've just got to look at the relegation zone, haven't you? I mean, what could be the biggest surprise? You know, it's um, we spent all season thinking who are the three teams going to be because so many teams are, you know, have been involved in it, and it's it's narrowed down to it's going to be two from three now, isn't it? Um, you know, obviously with Southampton already gone. So whoever goes down, it will feel like a surprise because it's uh, we've been going. Oh, it, it might be them. Oh, it might be them, and we don't. We haven't really known, have we? And um, you know, it's a, it is a surprise to me. If you'd said to me again at the start of the season, who do I think will go down? I didn't think Leicester would be in there. Um, and the way Leeds were playing in the kind of early parts of the season under Jesse Marsh, I didn't think they'd be in there. But it just goes to show that it it really is a marathon and. Um, You've got to have the legs for it. So I think maybe there might be a surprise. There might be a twist in the in that relegation battle. I mean, the, I think everyone's kind of thinking now, you guys might think differently maybe, but that Everton are just going to beat Bournemouth and that's going to be that. And, and Leicester aren't going to get the result against Newcastle to give themselves a chance in their final game. Um, so maybe that won't happen. Maybe, you know, we, we've spent a portion of this show praising Bournemouth and they have they have had a knack, particularly away from home, of absorbing pressure and breaking quickly. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't write them off yet. So maybe maybe a, a Bournemouth win at, at Goodison Park could be that uh, that sting in the tail. Okay, well, I'm going to agree with Thomas on Everton-Bournemouth. I think that's uh, going to be the match. But I'm going to tell us, I'm going to say it right now, I'm going to say a surprise. is good. I'm glad that uh, Thomas mentioned his own club. I'm going to mention mine as well because... Uh, there, I'm telling you, there's a, all the supporters of Fulham Football Club, the players, the manager, probably the whole club itself has been looking forward to the match at Old Trafford because of what happened in the FA Cup. And uh, so for me, I would not be surprised if Fulham 
beat Manchester United because uh, the players really want it bad. But I know Alexander Mitrovic is going to be all fired up for this. So for me, I'm I cannot I I cannot wait for that match. I've been waiting probably two months for it. So even though Fulham can't move at all, they're going to be tenth. This is going to be an interesting one for Fulham, and uh, I look forward to it. I, I think that could be a surprise be, because I I think that even though they really don't have anything to play for, they do have a points total record for Fulham to play for. But I think this goes beyond that. I think this goes for beating a team that uh, they felt that they probably should have beaten in the FA Cup. That's what I think comes down to. So I'm just going to say it right there. So uh, I think that could be the shock one. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see how Tottenham contribute to the uh, <laughs> to the relegation oh, race. That's a big one. Yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting. Um, <laughs> I don't know which way it goes. Like uh, Everton are kind of counting on us, so does that mean we're going to fail, or <laughs> are Leeds counting on us going into it, and that means that we'll win? It's really hard to keep track of of uh, <laughs> Doctor so Tottenham. Do you, Kev, do you, would it be more of a surprise to you if Tottenham won or if Leeds won? What would actually be the shock? Wow. <laughs> I'm just I, saying. Well, I oh, genuinely great, don't know. I think, like, I don't know if people saw, but the fans didn't even stay for the lap of air quotes honor. Wow. Um, and there was, it was supposed to be the first doubleheader at the stadium ever with the women's team playing after, which was really a shame that everybody left. Also, they cranked up the uh, in-stadium speakers so that nobody could hear the fans booing or calling for Levy's head during... Uh, the kind of like final minutes of the match heading into what was supposed to be the lap of honor and the season awards <laughs> ceremony, um, which uh, for obvious reasons, the fans were excited about. I personally would have stayed, but anyway, that to the side, I can't imagine morale's great <laughs> after this season, after a result like that, after the reaction like that from the fans yet again, despite, you know, everything going on, no, no firm links to directors of football, but then people saying the reason we aren't interested in Nagelsmann is we have to have a director of football first. But yet we're also air quotes close to signing Arne Schlott out of uh, <laughs> out of the Netherlands. It's a mess. So honestly, I mean, I obviously saw the the Leeds match today and them go up briefly and be very excited with Rodrigo Moreno before it all fell apart. It's impossible for me to imagine Leeds winning a football match at this point. But also, I see no reason to have any confidence that Spurs will win. Maybe it'll be the first time ever that both teams lose. Uh, <laughs> or just a 1-1 draw. And I don't think that that would do Leeds any good. Is that right? Yeah, they wouldn't yeah, get ahead of Everton. Yeah, so I'll go with a 1-1 draw just to have the most meaningless <laughs> the most meaningless yeah. end to the season. Um, uh, we'll take a quick break, though, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips and adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. All right, and we are back. Thomas, we'll start off with you talking about Wolves. I wanted to talk about Lepetegui a little bit just because when he came in, obviously he and um, Emery joined Aston Villa around similar times, or at least they were announced around similar times because one started later than the other. Um, And I was just curious your, your thoughts on on how Lepetegui's performed thus far? Were you kind of hoping for that kind of huge surge that, that Villa saw the second half of the year? And and do you think that you're on the right path heading into next season now that you're obviously very safe? Um, yeah, I mean, I expected improvement because he's a manager that arrived with a good amount of pedigree, managed some very prestigious you know, clubs, Real Madrid, uh, Porto, I think, for a while, Spain national money. So you expect... You expect him to be able to do something. Um, and then he was obviously backed in the transfer window. We brought six players in in January and all of them had a had a say. And I think he was he was paramount in getting some of those players. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I expected an uplift. Uh, I did. I wasn't I wasn't confident that that would be sufficient to survive because we were in a bad place. We were bottom of the table. So. You know, surviving with three games to go is an incredible, you know, achievement. Um, and I think he's done very well with the squad he he inherited to to survive with that degree of comfort. None of the games we've won, with the with the possible exception of Liverpool, where we had a three 0 where they were in a particularly bad moment. Um, but all the other wins we've had have normally been by the odd goal, very nervous affairs where we we kind of got a goal and defended it. Um, so it, it has been, you know, see of the pants kind of stuff to, to get to where we are. Um, but, you know, looking ahead, there, there's a big reset coming in the summer. We've got a, we've got a big squad. There's lots of players out of contract that, you know, the new no old guard looks like it's going to move on. I mean, Traore, Martinho out of, out of contract going, I think, um, while Jimenez, they're looking to offload. Ruben Neves reportedly leaving, entering the last year of his contract, possibly going to Barcelona with, with George Mendes pulling the strings on that deal. Um, you know, more, there's just so many players I could go into. I, I honestly think there's going to be 10 to 12 out. Um, and hopefully, you know, that, that frees up the resources for Lopetegui to bring bring in the players and shape the team that he wants. Because I don't really see, even though we've got the results, I don't really see an identity emerging with the team yet. I still think he's just kind of coached this group of players to get the results that he's needed. 
but I don't really see a, a style. I think he wants to play kind of more high press, high energy. Um, but in terms of our attacking play, it's just still woefully, it's so bad. You know, we're, we're once again the lowest scorers in the league. Um, you know, that that's what we've got to solve next season. We've got to score more goals or we're just going to be down there again and it's going to be a disaster. So, so yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. But I, I said to a couple of guys yesterday that, Really, all the teams in the bottom half of the table that survive, you just kind of go into a reset in the summer. You, you, everyone will bring in four or five players. Some players will leave. Um, you, you know, you try to keep hold of what you you consider your key players, and then you just hope it's going to be better next season. It's as simple as that. You, you hope your summer recruitment is is better than all those other teams, and and you see some improvement, but. You know, what we must do is retain the coach because there have been noises that he's a bit kind of put out by, you know, the coffers looking a bit bare at Wolves and maybe not being able to do the business that he'd anticipated. So that will be, that's the first thing to make sure he stays um, and, and then, you know, offload the players they need to offload to free up the funds to to get the players in we want. So that that's what I'll be looking at, hoping they get some business done. And so when we come back for pre-season, we hit the ground running, which I think for all teams is important. But definitely, you know, any team that may have a, a fear of being at the bottom, you need to get the unit together as early as you can in pre-season and let the coach work with them. And that's what we didn't do last season and we paid the price. So that's important. Some kind of some sense of stability. So um, that's what I'll be looking for. Gotcha. Um, kind of at the other end of the, the spectrum of that stability, um, it, it seems like you're probably going to have a new midfield next year. Maybe Nevis is teasing leaving again and he just stays again. But Matinho certainly has been appearing less and less lately, especially down the stretch. It looks like no starts in the last 10 or maybe one. Um, what do you make of that that potential changing to that engine room? And, and what do you make of Matinho's legacy at Wolves? Well, I mean, you know, Ruben and... Ruben Neves and Martinho have both been absolutely fantastic for Wolves. Um, you know, they, they've obviously stayed beyond the Nuno era, but they'll be defined by what they did in that Nuno team. You know, we were such a competitive team. We were such we were a thorn in the side to pretty much every team in the Premier League for those couple of years where we were we where we were good. And the and the system suited those two players perhaps better than anyone. They just got to sit there in the midfield in that 3-4-3, three, three, pull the strings, pass the ball, you know, pick the pick their moments. And um, you know, they were they've just been absolutely brilliant. It's been a pleasure to watch Jan Martinho play for Wolves. You know, he he's just so he's always available for a pass. He's always finding smart passes himself keeping the ball, turning it over. It's just one of those underrated things that when you haven't got a player like that, you, you kind of notice it. Um, but he really did dictate the play in, in so many games. I think his influence has waned because time has caught up with him. I think he's 37 now, um, possibly pushing 38. So, I, you know, I don't think we'll be renewing the contract again. I, I think there were rumours yesterday he wasn't in the squad and... In, and um, Lopetegui said that he's got one eye on next season, so I don't know whether he's already got something else lined up and he's protecting himself for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, fantastic player for Wolves. Um, unbelievable. Again, you know, I, I said about Kaylor Navas going to Nottingham Forest. When we signed João Martinho in that first season back in the Premier League, I think a lot of teams raised, you know, raised eyebrows and we were like, wow, João Martinho is going to come and play for Wolves. And that was a... Uh, 
that was an era defining signing and we got him it was robbery you know that was that was the the good side of the george mendez uh stable getting him for 5 million pounds from monaco one of the best signings you know value wise that any team has probably had in the premier league in recent years and he's been great and i think now bizarrely even though we only signed him as a 34 year old he's played more games for wolves than he's played for anyone else now because he tends to just do a couple of years stints wherever he's been. So hopefully he'll look back fondly on his time at Wolves. He's probably played for more prestigious clubs, arguably, in his career. But um, but he'll he'll be remembered well and, um, yeah, a fantastic player. Yeah, was very excited when I thought he was coming to Tottenham. And even though he went to Wolves, still did, still did <laughs> enjoy watching him in midfield, even when it was against us. He's just such a good player. And, you know, age eventually comes for us all. But, yeah. Uh, great seeing him in the Premier League. Uh, Russ, we'll come to you now to talk about Fulham. Um, I have a very selfish question to lead in with, which is, uh, you, you mentioned earlier how important it is that you keep Alexander Mitrovic, obviously um, led your team in goals by a fair margin yet again, could hit the 15 mark if he scores at the weekend. Um, but a player that a lot of people uh, kind of hated on, I thought a little bit too much when he was at Spurs, not to have two players in a row that I draw the Spurs. Sorry about that. Uh, was Carlos Vinicius, who obviously had to take up uh, the striking role there for a bit during during Mitrovic's suspension. He had three goals there during that that six-game suspension. I was just curious your thoughts on him. Do you think he's at Premier League level? Do you think uh, you'll you'll ever see him up front with Mitrovic regularly? Or do you think it's still more, more of a backup kind of option for you? That's an interesting question. It's an interesting situation that happened with him because it didn't start off well with him, to be honest with you, Kevin. But he came in a very difficult situation, trying to take the place, fill the shoes for a bit of Alexander Mitrovic. And, it, and uh, at first glance, it didn't work. It absolutely did not work. He wasn't able to hold up the ball. He was struggling in all facets of his game. But what ended up happening was uh, Marco Silva benched him for Dan James in the game. And Dan James lit it up. Dan James played against Everton and was fantastic, was great. What ended up happening was, for Vinicius, was that while Dan James ended up having to be, he couldn't play against his parent club, Leeds United. So then he had to bring in Vinicius again. So then next thing you know, Vinicius is playing again as your striker. And slowly but surely, he was doing the other parts of the game. He was doing some defensive duties. He was holding up the ball much better. And guess what? He was scoring goals. And he's turned some heads. He's got us thinking, do we actually need a backup striker? So if you're asking me right now, I would stick with Carlos Vinicius. But I know that he's going to have offers to go other places. But it's actually a very good story because in the end, it just shows that you can never rule a player out who's trying for you, who's trying to get better. And to Marco Silva's credit, he never gave up on him. He kept playing him, and eventually he got rewarded for it. So I'm happy to say that the Carlos Vinicius experiment, I think overall, has been a success. Yeah, also he's a great guy. I don't know if, if Fulham did a similar thing, but there was a bit of social media content that they did on, on Vinicius and his background and what led to him. <clears throat> I think it was Benfica that he went to. 
yep. uh, in Portugal and then his journey up to that point. It's 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 really touching. I was always rooting for him. He scored a crap ton of goals in, in the Carabao Cup run that we had, mostly against really inferior competition. But I liked him. I liked the look of him. thought there was a player in there. So cool to hear that he's, he's kind of getting there. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, uh, much less selfishly, is that right now Fulham are uh, on track to finish both top 10 in goals scored and uh, goals conceded the the good way. <laughs> Bottom ten, hard hard to say. <laughs> you are within right. the ten teams who have conceded the fewest goals in the Premier League this season. I suppose would be the most accurate way to say right. it. So, do you think that that kind of reinforces your your spot of tenth in the Premier League, and that this might be a more sustainable thing, considering you know both ends of the pitch, you're around tenth. Oh, what's interesting is that there's been a lot of controversy with that part of Fulham's game. Yes. They are where they are, and um, I think, believe it or not, I think it comes down to defensively, it's Burn Leno, and he will have people saying that he's Fulham's player of the season. There are other going to be candidates like Jao Pelina and then, of course, Mitro, but when I went back to the, in the beginning of the show and I told you that there are three players that Fulham need to build around, one of them is definitely Burn Leno. And the fact that Arsenal basically pushed him aside the way that they did and actually brought in Matt Turner from my New England Revolution, who's never going to play for Arsenal, it was a blessing in disguise for me because that made Leno available. And he's been unbelievable. He's been the best goalkeeper I've seen at Fulham since Mark Schwarzer. He's pretty much right there now with Schwarzer, which is amazing. Having that confidence, having that goalkeeper that you can believe in each and every match, even though at times maybe the defense played over their heads, the expected goals against is actually pretty high for Fulham. They do give up a lot of chances. But what has been the saving grace has been Burn Leno. He's been great. And a little shout-out to a player that I wrote off, and I've probably said this on this show, Tim Ream had an excellent year. So for me, the defense has been a pleasant surprise. Is it sustainable? I think they're going to have to upgrade the center backs. I think that's the only way that they can push forward. It's not just going to be up front or like in the midfield. They're going to have to upgrade the center back position. And they might also have to be looking at the fullback position if Anthony Robinson decides to leave. Yeah, I think a lot of your comments on the defense make sense there. Uh, while you were saying that, I was like, oh, I should look up what the difference was between uh, uh, your your expected goals allowed and your actual goals allowed. Oh, it's uh, high. 18. <laughs> well, 17.74, according to Underset, which is obviously the most in the Premier League. So, yeah. Yeah. It's still still uh, maybe allowing too many opportunities but with Leno there. And hopefully you'd, you'd, you'd expect that to regress. Nobody else was higher than 11. So right. Um, right. You'd, you'd expect to not be that heavy of an outlier next season. But yeah, cool. Interesting thoughts from you there. Uh, we'll head into Player Watch next, where I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on who your club's player of the season was. Well, the, they handed out the silverware uh, after the Everton game yesterday at Molyneux, and it was Ruben Neves. So do I agree with that? I think so, yes. So, yep, Ruben Neves for us. Um he he held us up, he propped us up for the first half of the season. So I think it's more on that basis. Um, he's been consistently very good for us. He, you know, he does he lead, he's technically an, an outstanding player, but he just gives everything and he's really bought into the 
the culture of the club and the city. The fans love him. You know, he's a once in a generation player for for Wolves. Um, he's been fantastic. So if he does go, you know, good luck to him. He's been fantastic for us. Uh, I'd say over the second half of the season, it would probably be Craig Dawson actually for me. What a fantastic signing he was from from West Ham. If we, we if we hadn't signed him, I think we'd probably be still either in there or, or down because he's just been fantastic. He solved so many problems for us defensively. Um, you know, fantastic. And and I, I was I was at the time West Ham fans were absolutely gutted to lose him. So that that probably tells you a lot. Um, so we we benefited, I think, from the fact he just wanted to be closer to his family. Uh, and I think he's come, he's settled in really well. Just been fantastic for us. But um, but yeah, over well 37 games, no no arguments with Ruben. He really he really was a, a saviour and won us a couple of games early in the season when we we really needed those points. So uh, yeah, not the first time he's won it either. So um, yeah, fantastic player for Wolves. Perform. I'll start with basically. Uh players that are on the periphery that could be thought of in the realm, but are going to be honorable mentions. I've already mentioned Bern Leno. I'm going to mention Mitro because Mitro deserves to be in the conversation. The other player I'm going to mention that might shock a lot of people who has actually been fantastic for Fulham has been William. William's been great. William has been fantastic for Fulham. I don't know if he's going to come back next season. But I would welcome him back. I could even throw Tim Ream in there as well. They've had a lot of players that have really stepped up. Kenny Tete, I can go down the line. But the player that changed Fulham, and sorry, Thomas, we got him from, it was a competition with Fulham and Wolves for Jao Polina. And Jao Polina has hands down been the player of the season. He's changed Fulham. He's absolutely changed Fulham. Whenever he was not able to play, either suspended or well, actually, it was all suspensions. He was never injured, so it was all suspensions. Fulham, I believe, lost every single match, and they could not deal with playing without him. So that should tell you why, a major reason why he's player of the season, because everything really worked around him. He's a tackling machine, but he was aggressive with his passing going forward. He controlled everything. So for me... It's job pulling your hands down. Gotcha. Obviously, both very deserving uh, players for the terrific seasons that they had. Uh, also, both central midfielders, which I I really like. I feel it's a position. Both Portuguese. Both, 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 Portuguese. both Portuguese too. Good point. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I just feel like it's a position that often gets overlooked as everybody chases goals and golden gloves and all that kind of stuff at either end of the pitch. So. Very personally yeah. pleased with, with that from both of you. Uh, we'll wrap up with match previews. Uh, we'll start off with you, Thomas. Arsenal versus Wolves, obviously. Arsenal no longer uh, in title contention. Do you think you'll be able to catch them on a bit of a hangover? No. no, no. Uh, I just can't. We just look like a piece of paper away from home. It's just we're, we're not very good. That's something Lopetegui's got to really sort out over the summer. We need some more backbone. Um you know, we have some possession and we sort of go side to side and try and take all the fizz out of the game, but it just doesn't work. We're not rigid enough defensively. We're just always likely to concede. Uh, yeah, and I just, I can't see Arsenal. I think they'll want to sign off well after those those difficult performances. So I think, you know, they'll they'll put out the best team they possibly can. 
and that that will almost certainly have too much for us. But you never know. Hope springs eternal. There's uh, the good the the good news from our perspective is that we don't need a result. Um, shame we couldn't beat Everton because it would have been nice to get to 43. Um, you know, but but you know, and I think we can. I think Bournemouth and uh, West Ham can still catch us. So yeah, so we'll be. We might be nervously looking over our shoulders in the sense that you want to finish as high up as you possibly can. So, um, I, I whatever. I'm not. I'm not really bothered really too much about that. But it's always nice to finish a, a few places higher up. So, so yeah. But I, I mean, I'm expecting a defeat. Um, what the score will be, I don't know. We don't score, so I'll go two two nil Arsenal. Would probably be my best guess. Gotcha. And then we'll come to you, Rasta, to talk about Manchester United versus Fulham, which you already touched on a little bit and we talked before we hit record. Uh, if if there's something in it for United, if they if they lose to Chelsea midweek, that, that technically keeps Liverpool in the race. Do you think you could do them a favor? Yes, I do. But And I actually want, them, want there to be something on the line. I absolutely do, to be honest with you. I think Fulham really want this. I, I could be wrong that... They're not going to go full force, but I truly believe that the players, it affected them for matches after this, this loss. They really wanted this to go on in the FA Cup. This hurt. And I think what it comes down to, it doesn't take away from what Mitro and what Marco Silva did because what they did was wrong. But I think the bitterness comes to some calls earlier in the match where there should have been either one or two penalties that should have been given to Fulham for fouls on Mitrovic that were not given. So that's kind of the other part of the story with Mitrovic is that he didn't get the calls early in the match. And I think that was a factor in why he exploded later on in the match. I think that just with the fuse and uh, it went off from there. So all I know is that's all we've been talking about for a month was Manchester United, Manchester United. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm going for the upset. Two goals to Mitro, two to one. Gotcha. Well, we'll definitely keep eyes on that. And like I was saying earlier, that would put him past 15 goals uh, again in a Premier League season, which would obviously be quite a feat. Uh, but we will wrap things up there. So if you'd like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you've been working on, now would be a great time. Yeah, thanks again for, uh, for having me on, guys. Uh, as always, you can find lots of Wolves-related content. Uh, if your team's playing Wolves, well, obviously we're working the season down. So maybe if you're an Arsenal fan listening to this, there'll be a preview for the Arsenal game and a report and some interesting and lively debate, as always, in the comments section of those posts. So uh, if you want to head over to wolvesblog.com and, and check that out, that would be great. And uh, there's some spontaneous and random updates on uh, on Twitter at Wolvesblog or at facebook.com forward slash Wolvesblog. Okay, you can follow Cottage Talk on Twitter at, well, you can go to my personal Twitter account of Russ underscore Goldman or the Twitter account of Cottage Talk also on Facebook. Check us out on YouTube and any place that has podcasts, Cottage Talk will be there. And um, I look forward to finishing up the season talking Fulham, looking forward to next season. And uh, I enjoy talking about Fulham with my co-hosts. It's a lot of fun. And uh if you want information on Fulham, check out Cottage Talk. Yep, definitely be sure to check out both of these guys' sites and, and all their stuff. 
Um, I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show on Twitter at EPL Roundtable. And of course, you can find us by searching EPL Roundtable in any of your podcast services. Uh, But yeah, huge thanks to uh, Ross and Thomas for joining me today and folks at home. We hope you keep listening. Mm -hmm.